And he said, God, I know you can do it. I know you can give Marilyn back her eyesight. Something's got to give here somewhere. And I pray, God, that you open her blind eyes. I was always used to open my eyes at the close of a prayer. That's very important. And I kept doing that when I was blind. Soon as he said that, I opened my eyes and there he was right in front of me. I said, AC, AC, I can see. I can see. I looked around the room. I said, I can see the furniture. I can see the drapery. AC, I can see what you look like. You've got to shave. <laughs> Marilyn's story of blindness was a progression. She could see forms but not faces, but that didn't stop her even after that partial sight left. She attended Tennessee Temple University and then the Arkansas Enterprise for the Blind, where she learned to adapt to living as a blind person. Hi and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, Dr. Marilyn Ford tells her story of healing. We want to welcome you to the show. Marilyn, it is so good to have you back in Memphis, where you and your husband, A.C., ministered for many years. Has it been over 30 years ago? Uh, no, it's not 30 years ago. We left there. It's been a while ago. Yes, it has been. <laughs> <laughs> the Broadmoor Baptist Church out there in the Raleigh community mm-hmm. off of Austin P. Highway, yes. and that's where you served. That's right. Did you ever work with Verla Pettit? Well, some with the mission and uh, her assistant that worked with her, Linda Briggins. Yeah, and Linda who called me. That's right. And that's how I met Linda. It was through Verla Pettit. And I remember there was a tent revival meeting, and I'm trying to remember, it might have been Charles Stanley, can't remember who the speaker was, but it was at Broadmoor, oh. back property. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you remember, remember that? remember that one. Yeah. That oh, was a great time. It was. Then we had some great years there. It was wonderful. My husband was always first pastor. And when we came to Broadmoor, he said, I want to be the best associate any minister could ever have. Yes. And that was his goal. He loved it. It takes a special humility and I guess a person to take the co-pilot seat. But that was his gift. So it was full-time pastoral after that. In the opening comments here, we mentioned about you becoming blind, totally blind at 18 years of age. That's right, 18. We've got a story to tell today, Marilyn. It was in that period you were motivated to further your education using a tape recorder. Of course, now kids are going, what is a tape recorder? <laughs> I know. That was real to real, not a little cassette. Oh, that was real to real. That was real to real. We didn't have cassettes yet. My, my life shattered. I was just out of high school, started working as a private secretary, worked for just a short while, and my vision left me. I couldn't do the job. I thought my whole life shattered. I didn't know how in the world I would ever pick up the broken pieces. I was going to be an old maid, it looked like, who was going to marry a blind girl. After a few days of grieving and such like, I decided I'm going to have to pick up the broken pieces somehow. So I wrote the president of Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga, explaining to him that I wanted to come as a student, that I was blind, that I would not be able to read the books, but I wanted to record the class lectures if the teachers would be sure to put everything in their lecture. And then I would study from that and take my exams orally between classes. <laughs> it was tough. But God was good. He blessed me that way. And he also blessed you because you met A.C. Was it at Tennessee Temple? It was at Tennessee Temple. And I thought nobody would marry a blind girl. So tell me about that first encounter. Were you in the hallway, a classroom? We How did you meet? in the dating parlor with his brother, his sister, who were also students there. My sister was a student there. So it was a family get-together. And that evening, when we got together, I felt his spirit immediately. And I had been praying for my husband. Billy Graham was on the radio when I was 12 years old. And we were driving home from church on a Wednesday night. My dad was had, oh, he always turned the radio on, uh, Billy Graham on Wednesday night. So as we were driving home, 
Dr. Graham said, young people, you may be 12 or 13 years of age, but now is the time to begin to pray for your life partner, that he be a godly man, love the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and mind, loving, tender, compassionate, anything you want in him. You start praying about it. I picked up on that. So that was the initial attraction. It seems like it was a spiritual union Very first. So. And that's important. I saw every characteristic I had been praying for since I was 12 years old. And yet you didn't have eyes to see. No, but I felt it. (laughs) (laughs) It's spirit to spirit. Yes, he had every characteristic I had asked for. Were both of your parents supportive of the relationship? Yes, they did not meet him until three days before the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) They had no choice. (laughs) They had no choice. Uh, So too bad that they couldn't meet him sooner. I want to back up a little bit and tell some of your backstory. You were raised on a farm in Michigan. Yes. That must have been a great experience. Oh, wonderful. I wouldn't give anything for growing up on a farm. You learn so much on a farm that city kids never even dream about. It was a, a wonderful heritage, and my parents taught us the Bible. We had prayer before every meal. We had a whole chapter in the Bible read after the meal. Church doors were open. We were there. We went to all the young people's parties. Even though we lived out in the country, they made sure that we participated in everything. And it was a wonderful, even our pastor taught prophecy a lot and the Bible doctrines. Justification is that act of God whereby the guilty are pronounced righteous. Yes. Placing them before the courts of heaven as though they'd never oh. sinned. Oh. We, we had to learn these. I mean, it was great, great. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, growing up in a Christian home and a wonderful church, fabulous foundation for my life. What type of farm did your family have? Was it a cattle farm? Well, we had cattle and we had pigs and we had 3,000 chickens, but we had all the big equipment. My dad and four brothers and us girls helped. So you had like, daily chores? Oh, yes. Yes, <laughs> we did. We worked. <laughs> we did have time to play. What were some of your fondest memories growing up on the farm? Working in the fields and harvesting the, the crops. It was just God, right in the middle of it all, you know? I loved the work. I loved everything about it. And my mother always said, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing good. Yes. So we grew up with that ever since we were little, and I appreciate that so much. Well, you were raised in a Christian home, as you mentioned, but when did you embrace the gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ makes available? When I was nine years old. I wanted to get saved. I wanted to tell the pastor that I wanted to be born again into the family of God. But I was so shy back then, and I didn't dare to walk the aisle, and I didn't know what I would say to him when I got down there. (laughs) And so I struggled with that for weeks and weeks. My mother always washed the dishes. We had nine in the family. Her job was to wash the dishes after a meal. I have a twin sister, Carolyn. We swapped jobs. One week, she would clear the table and sweep the kitchen floor, and I would be at my mother's side drying the dishes. So I went through the whole week after week after week, not working up the courage to tell her I wanted to get saved. It bothered me so bad, and then it was my turn to clear off the table and sweep the floor. I wanted to get back where I could dry the dishes because I was working up courage. (laughs) You wouldn't think you'd have to work up courage with a mother, but this was something spiritual, and I wasn't really comfortable just blurting it out. Yes. And so we got to the pots and pans, the very last of the <laughs> of drying the dishes. And I said, Mom, I've got to get born again. And we immediately went into the living room, knelt down at the sofa. And she said, For God so loved the world, Marilyn, put your name in the whosoever. Yes. That whosoever wow. believeth in him should not perish. And Marilyn would have eternal life. Amen. And I accepted the Lord. Marilyn, that is such a beautiful story. 
And that's God's story of changing hearts, even the heart of a child. Jesus even said, suffer the little children to come to me. That's right. Well, after losing your eyesight at the age of 18, the doctors told you, Marilyn, you're blind. There's nothing that we can do. No surgery, medication, or glasses are going to help you. Eventually, you're going to lose all of your eyesight, so you need to go home and just live with it. Well, that was at the Mayo Clinic, and by then time, I was totally blind. I became blind very quickly. And I had gone to the doctor in the town where I lived in Holland, and he didn't know what the problem was. So he sent me to the Ann Arbor Medical Center for Eyes, and the doctors there didn't know what it was. It looked like macular degeneration. They knew very little about macular degeneration back then. That was 1960, and they didn't do any research on that until 1968. It was so rare. Older people got it in their 60s, but they died in their 60s, so it didn't progress that much. And so when I got to the Mayo Clinic, they said, there's nothing we can do. You're blind. You'll be blind for the rest of your life. Just go home and learn to live with that. For 13 years, you lived with this blindness, and you prayed earnestly. Yes. Were there times of doubt, uh, discouragement, since you had prayed for so many years? Yes. We knew about the miracles in the Bible. I know now that there were miracles taking place, but we just didn't know about it. But we prayed and we prayed earnestly that God would give sight to my blind eyes. It was my husband's birthday. We went to his mom's that night before for birthday cake and cup of coffee. And it was after 11, 30, 12 o'clock time we arrived back in our home, hour and a half drive from where they live or whatever. Our daughter was four years old, spent the night with her grandparents. And we'd been talking about my blindness and the hardships we were dealing with. I'd already been to the School for the Blind in Little Rock, Arkansas, years prior. Was making the best of it, but kept praying. And it just seemed like God wasn't coming through for us. We weren't getting a miracle. And not having heard of any miracles, it was like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. It's hard to put faith in something you've never seen happen before. But we kept standing on the word, because the Lord says, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee and delivereth thee from all thine afflictions. Well, if God said that, he doesn't go back on his word. He's true to his word. So it was after midnight, and my husband just prayed for sharing at Grandma's house and our finances and the church people and a little short prayer. And he said, God, I know you can do it. I know you can give Marilyn back her eyesight. Something's got to give here somewhere. And I pray, God, that you open her blind eyes. I was always used to open my eyes at the close of a prayer. That's very important, and I kept doing that when I was blind. As soon as he said that, I opened my eyes, and there he was right in front of me. I said, AC, AC, I can see. I can see. I looked around the room. I said, I can see the furniture. I can see the drapery. AC, I can see what you look like. You've got to shave. <laughs> it was so exciting. Sharon's picture was on the dresser. And, of course, immediately I grabbed the picture. Oh, my baby, my baby. Little bundle of flesh in my arms when she was born. Never really saw what she looked like. And her picture was there, and her personality shown through the, the, the characteristics. Oh in the picture I could see it and I thought oh this is so fantastic I couldn't wait to see her so did you go back to Mayo Clinic to find out what had happened no no I never went back it was God I could see I could read I could could how many fingers I have five (laughs) (laughs) and so it was so marvelous the church down the road from us was having their bicentennial celebration the pastor invited us to come eat dinner with them and and participate in the service so we went over there and we were putting our food on our plate, and he said, Marilyn, we've got maybe five, 600 people here today, and I know we've got 
50 or 60 preachers and their wives. I'm sure they would like to hear something about what happened to you last weekend. I was not used to speaking in front of people, kind of shy about that, and I would get tongue-tied. So I said, yeah, that would be good. Let me think about it. So we went to the next table. We got to the third table. I said, Pastor, I would love to share what God has done for me, but I really do get tongue-tied. So you'll be sitting behind me on the platform, and if I have difficulty, you come up and rescue me really quick and tell the rest of the story. He said, okay, we'll do that. When I got up to speak, it just flowed. It just flowed out of me. It was the Spirit of God all over me, just rejoicing. All those pastors wanted me to come and share with their congregations. So every Sunday, I was traveling, sharing my story with people in the left Louisiana, went to all of the surrounding states. God just took it far and wide. Then I started traveling with crusade teams. A lot of preachers come to those, too. And so if it was in Oklahoma, then all of Oklahoma, would all those pastors would invite me. Or if it was in Michigan, all those pastors would invite me. My ministry just took off, and I wasn't expecting. That's how the Maryland Ford Ministries came into existence. After 25 years of ministry, traveling, speaking in crusades, you experienced a freak accident that eventually brought the ministry to a halt. After a dreadful fall in the hot tub with internal damage that led to totally paralyzed digestive system. Yeah. I've never heard of this. That's right. That was after about 25 years of, of ministry. And I'd been teaching the ladies' conferences on Saturdays and going to churches. I would teach all day Saturday, and then I would go to one church on Sunday morning, another church on Sunday night. So when this happened, it was devastating. I hit the nerves to the colon and the bladder. It's at the fifth lumbar when I fell backwards into the jacuzzi tub. So that just shut everything down, and we didn't know it. My husband heard the fall, verbalated through the house, and I said, AC, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I was shaking like a leaf, and I I was crying. It was just a frightful thing. But still had my feet in the water. I could hardly get up. He helped me to get up, took a big towel, and wrapped it around me and held me in his arms for two, three minutes. And during that time, he said, God spoke to him. And God said, she's broken, AC, and you're going to have to take care of her. Well, I just told him I'm going to be okay. I said, I'm going to be bruised from top to bottom. But I said, I'm going to be okay. Well, I mean, life became excruciating pain, and even death was hanging in the balance. I mean, this was serious complications here. This was, because you can't live without your digestive system working. And first, I did the enemas two years. Did elasticity of the colon gave way to that, and that would no longer work. Then my doctor put me on the gallon of colitis that they only give before surgery. And he wasn't comfortable with that. He didn't know if that would drain all the nutrients from my body doing that frequently. Right, right. And it was torture from morning to night because my colon, it, it wouldn't pass through. Eventually it led to malnutrition and dehydration. Oh, yes. Extreme malnutrition and dehydration. He sent me back to Mayo Clinic not knowing what to do because I couldn't stay on that. And when I got back to the Mayo Clinic, and this is all documented, my blind eyes and this miracle. The doctors ran all of the tests, called me into the office, and he said, you probably got 30 days to live. You need to go home and get your house in order. Marilyn. Yeah. He said, there's not a thing we can do. You weren't expecting to hear that. No. They were my last hope. Oh. I thought surely they would come up with something. You were placed on uh, intravenous feedings over the next eight years, which drip for eight hours. Eighteen. Eighteen hours a day. Eighteen. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Eighteen hours a day. Eighteen hours a day. For the next eight years. Into my subclavian heart vein. Yes. That was my lifesaver. Mayo Clinic can't do that. The doctors don't ordinarily do that. They can't give you ongoing life support. But the doctor in Memphis was a research man. He was studying the colon. 
That was what his research was on. And he said, I need to. So he put me on the nutritional feeding, and I didn't know how long I would live on that. It was life and death. He said, when the nutrients that God makes, we cannot make in nutritional feeding. And when the nutrients that God makes are depleted from your body, you will die. And I have no idea how long that's going to be. So I had that hanging over my head the whole time. And it was pure torture when I was on that colitis medicine. Torture from morning to night. I was so glad to get off from that and get on this nutritional feeding. So you weren't able during that time to take any other type of food? You couldn't eat? No, I couldn't eat at all. I couldn't drink. I couldn't even take a mint. For eight years? Yeah, for eight years. Horrible. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. I would go to the refrigerator and open the door and just look in. I would go to the pantry and just see what's in there. I wanted something so there's no words to describe it. No words. The support AC was for you during that time. Yeah. I found that if I could cook something for him until I got bedfast. Uh, I was bedfast a lot. In the beginning, when I could still cook for him, if I was really craving fried chicken, I could fix it for him, and somehow that would satisfy me. Just a smell? Just a smell, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So his ministry was continuing, but you were at home in bed. Oh, yes. I was constantly getting septus infection from this being into my subclavian heart vein. The septus infection would come. I had 25, 30 needles and syringes a day that kept me alive. Any blanket fuzz, any dust floating in the air, any animal hair, which we didn't have animals, but anything like that would get between one of those needles. And I had two ports that hung down to my waistline from my heart, one for the nutritional feeding, the other for these 25, 30 needles and syringes a day. And a little blanket fuzz getting between that would go right to my heart. Oh, Marilyn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so my. in the beginning, it was okay. I could handle it about every six months that would happen. Yeah. But then as time went along, then it started happening every three months and then every uh, oh. month and a half. It got done where I was in the, out of the hospital every three weeks. Oh. We said I couldn't throw it off. And it would be life and death situations. Marilyn, how do you have vision for life when the circumstances and the environment of life point to darkness and disparity? Yeah, I could no longer formulate a prayer. I could no longer recall any of the scripture verses that I had memorized. I was going down in despair, and I didn't know how to cope with that. It was at that point that I had a songbook. Somebody gave me a songbook, and I could barely turn the pages, and it flipped over to the song, Leave It There. The third verse says, If your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save and he can heal. And when I got to that last part, he can heal, I said, Praise God, praise God. This is wonderful. I said, God, I know you're going to heal me now. I know it's coming. I cried. It was a night of rejoicing. I was so thrilled. I knew in my spirit it was going to come, but it took six months. All during this time of this illness, my prayer was, everybody wants to know, how did you pray? Well, all during these 12 years, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No good thing will you withhold from those that walk upright. And verses like that, all the way through the Bible, oh, there's others, and I... My mind goes to a blank right now. But I kept those verses going in my mind. You are the Lord my God that healeth me and delivereth me from all my afflictions. Well, after I, I read that in the book, then I started saying, Father, you are the Lord my God that healeth me and you're going to heal me. And I know it's coming and I thank you for it and I praise <laughs> you for it. So that changed to yes. that. 
It was wonderful. Did you have friends that would come and oh, yeah. minister to you, pray with you, sing oh, yes. with you, care for you? I would spend you? the night with me. I would be in the hospital and so sick. Several people spent the night with me. They would come in and just be a nurse to me. And then after I got home, I had nurses coming around the clock all those years because I was bedfast most of the time. I was in a power chair. And people would come in and, and do my laundry for me and uh, kind of keep the house. So the actual healing from this problem, when did that occur? That happened in uh, 3001. 2001, yeah, no. I'm sorry. We haven't made there yet. 2003. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here we get it. 2003. Yeah. 2003. Uh, and the other miracle was in 1971. Okay, so 2003, God delivers you from this. Tell me the moments leading up to this miracle. I knew it was coming. I didn't know when, and six months seemed like a long time when God had already shown me that it was going to come. I had perfect peace about that, but I was so weak and feeble that I I couldn't rejoice outwardly. It was the middle of the night, and I had trouble waking him up because I could hardly move my arms to get over and tickle him or whatever. (laughs) And I finally got him woke up, and I wanted him to know that I knew I was going to die that night. I knew I wasn't going to survive till morning. I didn't want him finding me in the bed in the morning. So I woke him up, and I could hardly talk. I said, AC, and I had to get a breath. I need you to pray. I could barely get it all out one last time. And I felt that was enough. Sid, he would know what I was talking about. He prayed a very, um, some might call it a faithless prayer. You get to the end of your rope. You just get to the place where you're ready to let go. He was at that position at the time. So the prayer was not a strong prayer. It was not a faith prayer necessarily. It was more of a let go prayer. But God came through that night, but he didn't know it. (laughs) I fell back off to sleep. I woke up in the months before that. I would only wake up for medicines and three of the afternoon and such like. And so I just fell back to sleep instantly. When I woke up the next morning, he had to be at the hospital. Somebody had surgery at 6. He had to leave at 5.30 in the morning. Nurse had come in to take care of me for the day. He knew nothing about that I didn't die through the night. At least I was breathing when he left. During these 12 years, I would always get locked jaw, really couldn't yawn, it hurt. And I went to the doctor and I said, why is my jaw hurting like this? He said, you're getting locked jaw. He said, you've got to stimulate your jaw or you're going to freeze up. So I took the outer rim of a pizza crust, chewed on that like a doggy bone. It would hold together and yes. I could spit it out. He also told me, if you don't stimulate your taste buds way to the back and the front, he said, you will lose your taste buds. Well, I didn't want that to happen either. So down through those 12 years, I would use a blueberry to stimulate my taste buds. So the nurse came in that morning, and it was time for me to have a blueberry. Every time she put the blueberry in my mouth, I would try to swallow it. I'd put it way back to those back <laughs> taste buds, and it wouldn't go down. But this particular morning, the blueberry went down. <laughs> I was so rejoicing. I thought, wow, the blueberry went down. I've healed. The blueberry oh. went down. So I asked the nurse, I said, call AC, call AC. And she got him on the cell phone. I could hear the conversation back and forth. No, 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 she can't. She's eating. She did. So we called the doctor, and he had the same reaction. Oh, no, she can't. No, she's not supposed to do that. It'll, it'll, you know, rot and that sort of thing. But I said, it went down. It went down. And he said, tell her husband to get that little bottle of Insure and call me back when she can drink a fourth of that Insure. So that took a week. I was able to drink the fourth. 
And he said, call me back when she drinks half and then three-fourths and a full one. <laughs> so he said, I'm going to keep you on the nutritional feeding while you're on the insure because that will help to build you up and get yes. your strength going. Yes. And he says, after we get you built back up, then we will take you off the nutritional feeding. I was still getting septus infection, and I was back in the hospital with another infection after the miracle. They decided that they're going to take the tubes out and everything. I would be free from it from then on. I was strong enough. But when I got there, the nurse said, would you like something to eat? And she knew I couldn't eat, but she asked me anyway out of kindness, I guess. I said, yeah, I would like uh, some oatmeal. You got some oatmeal? And I knew the wind had that at 11 o'clock at night. But she ran back to the nurse's station. Hey, guys, Marilyn can eat. She, <laughs> she wants some oatmeal. And then she said, after the miracle took place, my husband called David Waters. He was writing articles in the newspaper every week on this lady, whether she lives or dies. Yes. He was giving my story week after week after week. So as soon as the miracle took place, he called David Waters, told him Marilyn is eating. So that day, the newspaper article came out telling everybody, hey, this lady started eating. She's had a miracle. It was marvelous. Just a praise to God. Praise to God, Marilyn. God is good, and he's able to heal. You know, Marilyn, there are those listening today who have been in darkness and disparity in their life, maybe through their health or a family member's health, and they've been praying for years. Maybe they haven't found the same deliverance or healing you have. Maybe that loved one has passed, even after they prayed and asked God to please heal them. God is able to heal, but he doesn't always choose to. No, he doesn't. Sometimes it's his will not to. People come to me and they say, how do you deserve to get two miracles of such great magnitude? Both are equal magnitude. How do you deserve that when we're praying for just one and we can't get one? And that's a toughie. How do you answer that? Well, I told him I stood on the word. You have to have sin out of your life. You have to be walking with God. You've got to be fellowshipping with God. You've got to be loving the Lord. And you do that by showing the way you live. If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, then ye can ask what ye will. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. That's the secret behind it. If you are abiding and you are seeking first God in your life, then you can expect to receive. And even if you do all of that and you're walking the way you just suggested Uh and your prayer doesn't go the way you think it should, he is still glorified. That's right. He is glorified either way because his will is being done. Marilyn Ford, this has been great. Also, you went on to get your doctorate. I did. We've got Dr. (laughs) Marilyn Ford with us on today's show. I thank you so much for your time. If those want to learn more about your ministry, you have a website. It's MarilynFord.com. Marilyn, and that is spelled M-A-R-O-L-Y-N-F-O-R-D. It's an O instead of an I. also want to say your book is available on Amazon, God Said Yes, From Tragedy to Triumph by Dr. Marilyn Ford. And that book is available on Amazon. Also, there's some resources on your website, Two Fantastic Miracles CD, and there's also a traditional contemporary favorites CD. You sing. I do. Yeah, they're all, that's available. And some of my emails are coming on my phone, so if they want to try emailing me. And what's the email address? MarylandFord at BellSouth.net. Fantastic. God bless you, my dear sister. God has been so good. I mean, just marvelous. And thank you for having me on the air. Thank you so much. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.